Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Flower Pot Podcast from the National Botanic Garden of Wales. My name's Bruce Langridge and today I'm chatting to Angharad Phillips. Shemai. Hello Bruce. Shemai. Shemai. Yeah, Angharad, you're a Welsh speaker. I am a Welsh speaker, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now Angharad is uh, here today to tell us about the uh, restoration project which has been pulling in people by their thousands it has, yeah. over the past summer. But just to get a, a, a few sort of little details going here, Angharad, tell us what your job title is. So my job title is, I'm the project and admin officer, but I'm also dabbling with the marketing now as well, which is fun. And I'm learning a lot about kind of marketing and learning from the experts that I'm kind of sharing an office with. So yeah, it's, it's just all adding to my um, repertoire of skills. And, and you've been here for how long now? I've been here for just over four years. So, so pretty much all... Through the project, yeah. so you, you're going to tell us all about this. Yes. But before we just do that, I just want to ask you a little bit about your background because you've got a history degree, haven't you? Yeah, I have got a history degree. I studied um, a local history, local Welsh history, so I've done a lot about industrial history and kind of rural kind of um, customs. Um, and I think kind of I've bought a bit of my. It's a long time ago since I was in university, but I, bits of it are coming back to me. But it's been fun on this project to kind of use my history. Um, because I used to work in retail for most of my kind of working life, so this is completely different from what I've done for the last 20 years, yeah. And you were brought up on a farm nearby yeah. as well, weren't you? So you got that perspective yeah, as well. Yeah, and I still live on a farm, so it's a, a sheep and beef farm, So and that's obviously been useful working in a botanic garden with an organic working farm as well. Right, so now then, tell us about the project, St. Clarence. So the project is started in 2015 and is to kind of restore um, quite a big part of um, some lots of beautiful historic features like lakes and uh, waterfalls and install new bridges. So this was originally supposed to be done 20 years ago when the garden first opened but for whatever reason time and money it wasn't achieved back in 2000 so uh, 21 years later we have achieved this vision. And, you, and you're going back here to restoring uh, the lakes and waterfalls which were created in the uh, from the late 1790s yeah uh, for the uh, few years after that yeah what yeah. is often known as the regency, regency. period yeah so the, the project is often referred to as the regency restoration uh, project um, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what had been done beforehand and what has been done since then because there, there were three lakes uh, restored weren't there at the start Yes, yeah. So back in 2000, we um, so the garden had restored three lakes, which is Pwllirarth, Llincanov uh, and Llinichav. So um, so what we have done is restored Llinmawr, which is the largest of the garden's lakes. Which even me knows, and I'm not a Welsh speaker, but I know enough to know that means the big lake. It is a big lake, yeah. and it's the biggest one. So if we put all the lakes into Llinmawr, Llinmawr is still way bigger than all the other lakes. So it's, it's, quite a, it's a huge body of water. And also we restored Llinvelingat. So, um, so we, we came, kind of came in, uh, you could see the kind of shape of lakes, but they were all kind of full of trees and saplings and kind of, there wasn't proper paths, there was no bridges here. So what we've done is looked at these Horner paintings, which um, Sir William Paxton, who kind of masterminded this water park, back in the late 18th century, early 19th century. Um, so he bought in Thomas Horn in 1815 to kind of paint a series of viewpoints. And we have used a lot of these paintings as a kind of guide to kind of uh, restore this very beautiful landscape. And I think we've achieved it, yeah. I do. Now, let's just go back to Thomas Horner because he, um, 
it's, uh, it, I still find it absolutely amazing to look at a painting done. It's almost like looking at an old photograph. So this is before photography, obviously, yeah. 1815. But here's depicted... How many uh, paintings have we got left out from what so, you did? So I think it's about 12 paintings, but we've got access to six. But one came on kind of... We had one quite recently as well, but it's not one of the best ones. It doesn't give that much detail. But the six that we're using are just oh there's just so much detail and even if I look now I find something new to look at um, one of my favorites is like a bird's eye view so it's like a drone shot of the entire um, garden his his estate which would have been kind of um, probably in Paxton's time uh, the immediate garden is 568 acres but he would have been kind of in the 2000 mark of acreage but yeah. it would have extended to what we now call Paxton's Tower yeah, yeah and, it would have been a lot bigger there. but yeah. this bird's eye view covers the kind of immediate garden and you can see kind of the network of lakes that um, Paxton kind of um, put in um, helped by his uh, engineer Greer and his uh, landscape architect uh, Samuel Lappage so and it just shows where the trees were planted where there were bridges where even where there was parkland railing and we've used these paintings to kind of to do what we have achieved here but yeah there's a whole series of them another a favorite one of mine is the one of the waterfall because the waterfall when you see this image the waterfall looks pretty magnificent it's a beautiful waterfall but it looks a bit kind of a bit bigger than what it actually is and in this painting we've got um Thomas Horner painting and then William Paxton pointing at the waterfall and we think he's saying kind of paint this waterfall bigger than what it actually is. There's a bit of artistic license but it which, just Which might of... include as well the Hermit's Cave yes. which was which may well have existed yeah. but may well have um things might have tumbled down and obscured yes. that. I love the fact there was potentially a hermit's cave. Yeah, there. I think that's fabulous. I would love to be a hermit down there. <laughs> <laughs> and again we're talking about an area that um Botanic Garden vis uh, visitors may well have known beforehand. I mean, the, in uh, before the restoration, people could have. There were sort of rough tracks to get round. Not that not that many people ventured out here because there wasn't uh, much signage to get out here. But um, but certainly local people in the local area would have visited round here and probably know mm. knew about the uh, the waterfall. But they probably would have seen these sort of like um, silted up areas and probably not even noticed that there were lakes before no not at all because i used to before i started working here i used to visit the garden quite often but i would stick to the main botanic garden with the more formal um flower beds so i didn't even know that this existed so to come down here and see kind of these structures at the start when i first started working here because you could see the structures like the cascade and the waterfall was running as a waterfall but and the kind of you could see the shapes of lakes but people have loved these this area for decades and it's a it's a very special and magical spot i think but we've just made it more accessible now for people to kind of wander around and yeah it's just beyond our wildest dreams of how people are really enjoying this space and and it's an ever-changing um kind of area because every season there's going to be something different to new as to kind of see and kind of I still get blown away by the blue bells and I just can't wait to see how it is in winter time because you get the paired back kind of look you see all the structures a lot more clearly and Cara, do not forget the fungi which are all uh, starting to pop yes. up now it's been the autumn yeah and within this whole site here we know uh, there's some very rare fungi have been recorded here in the uh. past and uh very hard to know where that was and 
uh, but we're going to keep our eyes open. Yeah. Because the other thing this has done, it's opened up a lot more areas. Of course. For us to actually go and have a look at lots of interesting things. Yeah. And you and I are sat right now next to a lovely little stream, the Gwynon. Gwynon, yeah. And sort of just enjoying the dappled light of autumn here as well. There's an every season. I think it's going oh, to have its, it's own be little thing. Yeah. But I've got to say, I did love the. Um, the bluebells, oh, the bluebells and the wooded and the enemies, yeah, and 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 a, and a bit of a uh, plant geekery here. I love the yellow archangels, which are also amongst mm. all of those in the springtime. So, tell us a little bit as well about the um, the bridges which have been built. Yeah, the, the bridges. So we've got six new bridges. So the bridges have been vital to kind of connect this whole landscape because I remember the first time I went round on my own, I was trying to find shortcuts. But there was no shortcuts, you had to go the long way around. But now we've got six new bridges, which kind of gives you just different walking routes. So you can do kind of a full circular route and it gives you shorter little um, kind of walk, especially around Llinmawr. But yeah, we've got two big steel bridges, which were uh, fabricated in Swansea. So we're trying to keep everything as local as, as we can with this restoration project. Um, we've got three timber bridges and we've got and our one of the most special bridges is the rustic bridge which is down at Llinvelin Gat which is a handcrafted oak bridge and that's got very interesting fungi on it already so <laughs> I saw some split gill fu- split gill fungus on the way over here that's one for the uh, uh, mycologists who are listening <laughs> But, but that bridge as well, it, people from the past might know there's a Chalybeat Spring down it there, is. isn't it? People yeah. used to come and take the waters and 200 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely spot. And we've also got a Horner painting of that spot. And there would have been um, a Temple of Hygieia um, down there, which Paxton created, which was the Greek goddess of cleanliness. So there would have been a li- li- this little temple, but um, we haven't recreated that. But it's still a, just a beautiful spot to go and sit and, and when you talk of... about temple here we're not particularly talking of stone do we we no. can only tell it from the pictures it looks maybe made of wood maybe yeah yeah but it might have been where people sort of went and got changed yes yeah, so we think there was kind of a water fountain in there um but paxton kind of he was a bit obsessed with clean running water and he was trying to set up this area as a bit of a spa town but then he turned his attention to tembe instead so tembe as we know it, it kind of is has got paxton's influence and the project has actually um, seen a, a, the realisation of a project to write a book about Paxton's life in Tembe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of the kind of what we uh, we've actually got an exhibition on on the garden website, which is all about te- uh, Paxton's life in Tembe. But our volunteers have kind of um, written a book about the kind of the lives of the families who used to live um, on this estate, and we've kind of started back from kind of the 16th century but brought it up to kind of more modern times with um, kind of the more recent families who kind of lived worked and played on the estate as well so yeah it's all down to our volunteers we've got um, an amazing team of volunteers and we've got the history research group who've spent years researching the history of this um, estate and they continue to kind of unearth lots of gems and they've kind of um, yeah written this each of them have got like a specialist area so they've um, helped kind of contribute to this book or well, written most of it it's been edited here, and, and it'll be out um hopefully next spring yeah. by sarah fox by sarah, sarah fox is the editor and she's yeah. done a wonderful job bringing kind of everybody's work together and we've got and it's going to be full of lovely images as well so um, um what's really uh, good about the aspect of the project as well is if we go back to Looking at estates just uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, the focus was always on the, the people who owned and ran things. But this project 
is really looking also at all the different people who worked here uh, from all the different classes and I think that's really important and talking to people who are still alive today who used to live here who works on all the starter farms that's, that's yeah. Middleton Memories Middleton Memories yeah so as you say Bruce we, we do know a lot about the kind of the, the families who lived in the big house but we're kind of focusing and turning attention to the people who kind of lived worked and played kind of our kind of ancestors and my kind of family um so in about two years ago we kind of did this kind of gathering of people's memories from um the time well back to 1950s really because the kind of council um split this whole estate from the 1930s into various starter farms so a lot of people have kind of lived on this estate like our my office was split into two bedrooms and we know somebody who was born in the shop because that was his house so we've been gathering these memories and we've we turned it into an exhibition called Middleton Memories which was one of the most loveliest ex exhibitions ever and we had a, a, a really popular launch of it where people even came down from Scotland to be part of this so and this is what we're trying to do a lot more of now is to kind of learn about kind of who kind of we I want to know who created the lakes and how many people did it take to dig out these lakes because we've seen big machines doing it over the last few years but I, I'd be intrigued to find out how many you must have had hundreds of people here kind yeah. of doing this work but this is what we're kind of trying to find out now and our kind of researchers are kind of yeah delving into this history now and I always get people emailing me and I just had an email last week from somebody um, whose great-great-great-grandfather was a bailiff here in the 1850s. So this is where we're kind of wanting to find well, more information. Wasn't a bailiff who wrote a diary of the time? Oh, he was a land agent. So land that was agent. Thomas Cook, and yeah. he was an agent for the Abaddon family. And his letters are just give such a big insight into life here because he was scathing of his employers, the Abaddon family, and he was quite scathing of... Um, kind of the tenant farmers round here as well so everybody was getting it in his letters that he used to send to his mum but it just gives such an insight into life here and this was during the time of the Rebecca riots as well so a real important part of our social history. So when people don't know the Rebecca riots the local people were uh, rising up to protest about all the toll roads yes, weren't they? Yes. Men dressing in, in women's yep. clothing so they didn't get arrested yes. but basically people standing up for themselves. Yeah definitely yeah. definitely and it, a lot of stuff happened on this estate like the Rebecca rioters kind of were burning down um, hay ricks and things and the Abaddon family fled to London but yeah so we just kind of these letters do give a yeah it's such a glimpse into life around about that time yeah and you talked about the uh, the people involved but you've also I think it's a good time now to just talk about the people who've helped create this project Oh yeah, we've. Oh, I've just worked with some amazing people. I've learned so much because, as I said, I've come from a retail background, so this was a completely different job to anything I've ever done. But kind of working pe with people like Helen John, the project manager, she taught me so much, and she would kind of give us the freedom to kind of learn new skills and kind of. She was a real inspiration. Um, yeah, she was an amazing project manager, and then Louise Austin. Um, she was the garden's first heritage officer and I learnt so much from Louise as well and she was an archaeologist so it was lovely to kind of listen to her and, and because Helen and kind of Louise along with Rob Thomas they were the ones who kind of put the bid in for this project so kind of um, really kind of helped shape what we have achieved and then I've also worked with Catherine another heritage officer and Peter and we've had apprentices 
um, Joe and Manon and now I'm working with Will Sims again another heritage officer but yeah I'm just learning so much from all these people and I'm just so lucky to work with such a range of skills and obviously David and Jack in marketing and Morgan yeah so I, I've just been so lucky that I've really enjoyed working with yeah all these different people and yeah, it's fab. And you've come across um, all sorts of different stonemasons and bridge yeah. builders and civic engineers, I oh, dare say. Yeah. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit about them as well? Yeah, so as one of my jobs was to kind of take minutes in these meetings with engineers and architects. So just to listen to them, I went into it quite kind of, oh my goodness, what are these people talking about? But then I have learned a lot over the last few years. So we've worked with um, Simon Bonvoisin, a landscape architect. So kind of, he's the one who kind of, he was one of the lead consultants, would kind of um, oversee the whole kind of project of where paths would go, where benches go, where trees are to be planted. Uh, we've also had an architect who's designed all our six bridges. We've got civil and structural engineers, um, reservoir engineers, because there's lots of water here that we have to kind of look after. So everything's going to be properly designed. And yeah, and we worked with kind of world-renowned engineers. And our main contractors, WM Longreach, have been fabulous throughout this whole process. And they've brought in a, lots of local subcontractors like Selwyn the Stonemason, our blacksmiths. Um, who've handcrafted a lot of the of the railings on our bridges and uh, Lampage Trees who kind of been doing all the site clearance and the ash dieback clearance so yeah I have learned so many kind of <laughs> things from these people and yeah <laughs> you've had archaeologists as well haven't you well, archaeologists I, I, yeah I liked hearing that story just looking at where the old um, uh, so the, the wood that held the water in on the dams or something oh yeah that's one of my favorite finds i think they we kind of knew there was going to be a sluice gate there sluice gate yeah but yeah. um but we had the wood tested by swans university and the wood on that gate was from 1789 which is actually the year that paxton bought the estate so and i always think that is just such a kind of yeah glimpse into the past of the engineering involved because we've got to remember that paxton kind of we're just recreating his vision or his engineer's vision but kind of we've got all the kind of abilities of kind of mod we've got computers and big machines but Paxton's engineer kind of he was kind of a such a mastermind of what kind of holding back all this water it's it's, it's no mean feat really that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. It, it costs an awful, awful lot of money and time and and, and knowledge to keep the water in yes, today because of, of all the reservoir yes, acts or something yeah. which is making it yeah but, but we, we have we've had to make the reservoirs resilient against flooding for every one in a hundred years is it something? yeah yeah so we've actually thin has got three spillways so we've got the primary spillway which is the cascade which um, kind of will have water running on it for most of the year. What we found this summer, because it's been quite dry, there always hasn't been water running down it. But we've also got spillway two, which will kind of be used in the event of a storm and it probably a few times of the year, but we've got a third spillway, which if it's a major flood, which, which we should probably all be worried about, that will kind of um, spill over down into the valley. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the other thing is worth just mentioning, if you can, is how has all this been funded? Oh, this we, we've had a huge range of funders. So the National Lottery Heritage Fund 
is uh, one of our main funders so if you ever bought a lottery ticket can I just say a huge thank you because without people buying their lottery tickets we wouldn't have had the money to kind of make this possible we've also got the Waterloo Foundation Pilgrim Trust the Mercers Trust so many different funders um, Welsh Government um, we've got money from Europe as well so so many people and so many different organisations have made this possible but this is just opening up the whole landscape to kind of for everybody to enjoy and I think Covid has taught us that these type of spaces where you can be surrounded by all these beautiful sights and sounds and it's just yeah made us appreciate these spaces a lot more. It's been one of those things I've kind of noticed over uh, throughout Covid it is and it's been very surprising really initially how many people were coming into the garden and uh, I expect there's not a whole lot of people have been coming in just to have a look at this as well. Once they realise the Botanic Garden, then they see this, this as well. So maybe they, they come back for a repeat visit as well. I think that's what's probably going on. Yeah. Even as we're chatting now, there's people walking past. Yeah, I do apologise always... if you can hear people chatting as we're chatting. But that's lovely. I love all these sort of ambient sounds that yes. you get here as well. But the, uh, the success of all this has also uh, been reflected in sort of awards that you're up for as well you want to tell us about this and a certain vote that's coming up yeah yeah so we have um, nominated we kind of um, entered into various awards Um, so we're in the final of the Georgian group awards for a restored kind of um, Georgian landscape and that those winners will be announced um, in about two weeks time we've also can can people vote for that if they hear this no 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 yeah so we had a judge that came round and kind of we took this judge on on a tour around here so we've also been shortlisted lots of engineering awards because all this project there's so much hidden engineering you might you won't see it now but it's yeah it's all there but the main one is a people's choice award which is part of the uh, institute of chartered engineers engineering so we're kind of one of the shortlisted ones it's a very prestigious award and we're the only welsh kind of um, entry so this is where we need everybody to vote because this is the people's choice so um yeah if you kind of go onto your search engine and type in people's choice award you'll see all the shortlisted ones but do kind of yeah, vote for us. Is that what it is? People's Choice Award? People's Choice Award. You don't need to put any other words in there. Um, you could put ICE as well. That yeah, People's means... Choice Institute of Chartered Engineering. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, so keep voting for us. It's also all on our social media. There is one little film of me jumping across a bridge, just celebrating the fact that we've been shortlisted for this award. <laughs> let, let, let's just, how many people have watched that? Uh, 14,000 so far. That's nuts, And it was literally just a little film that Jack and I recorded kind of one morning when we were out kind of fil- flying the drone and things. So it's, be, it's been popular but yeah it's just just to get kind of recognition for everybody who's been involved in this on this project from volunteers to engineers to past project staff so it's to kind of get people to vote because it's a huge achievement kind of what has been created here and well as the public carry on coming in as well which i think they're also enjoying the wildlife here yes and uh, it's worth uh, saying that all this site is within Wineless National Nature Reserve. It is, yeah. So it's an, you know, when we're looking at how it links in with the botanic garden, uh, we're very much about uh, looking at conserving biodiversity, mm-hmm. and I think we're doing that with this project because uh, people keep telling us about otters, don't yeah, they? Yeah, I just because and... we've got a, a team of volunteer rangers who kind of um, walk around this landscape just to help visitors, and they're always telling me what they've seen. So otters, kingfishers. 
What else? The great white egret was the strange yes, one, which I yes. didn't even know was in this part of South Wales. Before. Yeah, it's just a huge range of um, and flowers and fungi now. Yeah. It's just there's so much going on here, and it feels as if this has been a kind of a construction site for quite a few years. But it feels as if nature is really taking control again, definitely. And the project is also uh, helping to finance a woodland management plan. Yeah, Can you tell yeah. Us a little bit so about that? we're in this beautiful woodland now, but it's all been kind of carefully managed. So Will um, oversees this in Will the Ritchie. garden. Will Ritchie, yeah. 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 We heard in episode one. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So he's kind of, this is part of his kind of um, area. So he's overseeing kind of all the tree management. Um, it's quite sad because we have had to take down quite a lot of ash dieback trees in this area because it's been very prevalent. But we're just waiting to see now what kind of happens in, in their places. But some trees, some of the ash dieback, we've kind of only half cut down, but you can see the new leaves and the new little branches starting to come yeah, through. Yeah, that's so, really interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, and people always ask us about the trees. They're just near the waterfall, so we didn't fell them completely. It's just waiting to see now, but they do look as if they're coming back and kind of hopefully in 10 years time we might have a full tree again. And you also cleared a lot of uh, cherry laurel which we is did. an invasive species yes. which was clogging up particularly around the waterfall yeah, as well. Yeah it just takes over. That'll probably come back again though and it? it's going it to be a will. bit of a battle yeah, in the future. Yeah it's just an ongoing kind of just keeping an eye on these things. But by having a, a something like a woodland management plan is I think is very good from, from us looking after our own native yeah. habitats around here and actually uh, linking into all the work we're trying to do in the Botanic Gardens. So yeah, that, because the nice. thing is, we are 568 acres and we've got there's an organic farm. So, yeah, it's just looking after all these things for the future, really. It's just kind of making sure that we pass on these sites to the next generation as best as we can. And talk about the future, we've got uh, other things coming up. I mean, the project itself is coming towards an end. Yes. But tell us about the exhibitions and, uh, that are coming up. Yeah, so we've got two exhibitions which are currently running. One is in the Theatre Botanica. It's a, a costume exhibition from costumes from the Regency period, say from about 1815. So, and these have been created by a wonderful team of volunteers and they've worked hard during COVID lockdown. These people were creating these beautiful costumes. This is which, a stitching botanicals? Um, no, this is a different... So we've got them, uh -huh. yeah, 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 so they've created lots of kind of um, embroidered faces of historical figures from the estate. But we've also got our costume makers, so they've been kind of working hard. And during lockdown, lockdown, kind of they were creating kind of these costumes, which are now on exhibition. And there's just a, a bit of information about life kind of during this period and how people lived, worked, and played on this estate. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we've got a team of photographers who have, uh, over the last three years, who kind of been with us every step of the way, um, fo photographing kind of the changes that have happened here in the landscape. And that's currently, so their um, kind of uh, collages of images are, is happening now in the gallery in the Botanic Garden here. So, um, yeah, there's lots to kind of see about the project. So, and again, it's just all done by our volunteers. We can't thank them enough. And it's always a joy to kind of work with them. And, and, and they've just become our friends as well. We've that's built lovely. up such a bond, yeah. And they are obviously, and they're planning lots of new things as well. So it's just ongoing. Yeah, I know one of your volunteers is Terry Traherne as well, who, if anyone comes to the garden, they see a sign in the, um, the stable block for the 2015 Wells Tree of the Year. 
That's ah. that's a that's the uh, tree oh, that's... that Terry didn't cut down in the nineteen forties. Oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> and then ended up with his like title Welsh Tree of the Year. Very wow! Interesting. And Terry was one of the volunteers who was actually born in the shop. So yeah. and we've listened to a lot of. Um, we've been on walks with Terry, and he's been telling us where he used to play here as a child. And yeah, so it's been lovely, kind of hearing about how he kind of viewed the estate from the eyes of a child. Now we've talked about uh, what it is good for visitors. Can you just let me know finally as well, Anne Harrod? Which bits of this project do you really like best as well? What what are the areas that you really uh, love? Well, there's just so many of the bits because I kind of fall in love with every bit of this area. But I think probably one of the, my most favourite bits is the waterfall. And I call it an iconic waterfall all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not everywhere has a waterfall, but it's got a bridge over it. Which it didn't used to have. No, it no. didn't used to have. Um, so this bridge has been um, recreated and it's just really special because you get the kind of water tumbling at your feet but you're in the canopy of the trees. It's quite a special place to be I think and then especially when you've had a lot of rain it's just it's the sounds. This whole landscape is all about kind of what you hear and there's something to see every around every corner but it's the sounds around here with just the water bouncing so I'm quite looking forward to winter to get all these kind of it just becomes a lot more dramatic it's very calm on days like today but it'll soon change where this cascade will just be wow yeah yeah, yeah but I, I think the waterfall is my favorite bit That's lovely. have you got a favorite bit Bruce oh what is my favorite I actually I've got to say I'm I, I love the open access into the woodlands yeah so uh, because I, I, I'm a bit of a flower geek, <laughs> a bit of a fungi geek. so I mean I, I love those but I, I, I adore the sound of water yeah so I'm a little bit like you I, if I can hear the the sound of the waterfall in the distance it, that I, I'm a happy lad and I actually love the little um, down at Lynn Valley and Gat where the rocks have been put in to oh, make a babbling cascade, yeah. uh, so that a uh, place where kids can even go yes, and paddle yeah. I, mean, I love that sort of I can't do it really but the, the bubblingness yes. up there I love that as well yeah Jochen Val and Karen it's been very kind of you to talk yeah thank you thank you